Yeah, I mean, accessibility, I always want to sort of remind people when we say that we're talking about accessibility, we're not necessarily talking about, uh, uh, you know, targeting one specific thing or another thing. A lot of what accessibility means is just bringing options to play, giving people alternatives. That's really what accessibility is about. It's not about like opening up a, a you know, a guide and like following some specific uh, list of requirements. It's really just opening up options for people. Welcome to D&D Dads, an advice show where two dads answer your role-playing questions. I'm your dad, Brennan Taylor, and today is my birthday. I'm your dad, J.R. Blackwell, and in my house we call emptying a hot dishwasher being a hero. Brennan. Thank you. And you're recording a podcast on your birthday. I know. It's 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 good though. <laughs> it's something I wanted to do. Aw. <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> Uh-oh. We're reaching that wholesome singularity we keep talking about. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Coming ever closer. <laughs> so tell me, JR, what's your big dad energy this week? So my big dad energy is that I ate some ice cream to get jazzed up to do this show. Um, So I can't have coffee in the evening because then I'll be up all night. And then I can't drink because I'm such a lightweight that like one drink makes me like hungover and miserable the next day. And uh, I would be very silly during this show and incoherent. And so my only choice is to eat ice cream. (laughs) <laughs> like a baby. <laughs> if I'm feeling tired at the end of the day and I want to get jazzed, my only <laughs> choice is ice cream. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. So um, what's your big dad energy this week? So I'm reading a book series that my kid is reading also so we can geek out about it. Oh, so, Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> what's the series? Uh, it's the... Gideon the Ninth series. Oh, I haven't heard of Samson this one. Muir. It's, uh, it's lesbian necromancers in space. <sighs> you get you you read the best stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I feel but like I, now- I, I, I I've read them and now um, now Lilith is reading them and so uh, I can talk to them about it. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's just delightful. That's perfect. I can't, I can't wait to share more um, book series uh, with my daughter, who's four. So there's like... Those book series are limited at the moment. Right, yeah. at the moment. But I'm, I'm so looking forward to like our attention span, you know, growing to the point where we get to bring in some of my favorites. I'm excited about that. That'll be great. So I am delighted to welcome to the show my friend and game designer, Russell Collins. Uh, Russell is the designer and author of the role-playing game, The Tears of Machine SC. Welcome to the show, Russell. Hi, thank you. It's uh, it's great to be here. <laughs> so, Russell, before we get into our main topic, what's your big dad energy for this week? Oh, I'm going to say cooking hamburgers. Um, yes. <laughs> always yeah, a good we, one. <laughs> yep, yep. We've got, um, you know, as of recording, we've got uh, uh, the you know <laughs> July 4th weekend coming up. And um, over the past year, I have migrated from grilling 
burgers on the barbecue grill to doing like flat top smash burgers. So uh, this is this is going to be one of the first times I'm going to have my brother over who bought me my flat top grill. So I'm going to get to show him what I've actually learned. And you know, do do you know do a whole bunch of cheeseburgers for everybody. That's right. brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> um, do you ever cook in a in like an apron? Oh yeah, all the time. I've got a couple of them. See, see I feel <laughs> like when people cook in an apron, that is classy. <laughs> Like if that's a you know, classy biz. next level thing. Yeah, right. It's like yeah. that's that that elevates all cooking when you mm-hmm. when someone puts on an apron. Yeah. Dress for the job you want. That's ah, right. <laughs> exactly. Classic dad advice. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> You're bringing that good dad energy this week. Oh, thank you. So our question this week is related to accessibility and game design. I asked mm-hmm. you to be on the show since you mentioned that you're committed to bringing accessible features to your own game. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. wondering what features you'd suggest to other game designers who are interested in making their own games more accessible. Sure. Well, um, yeah, I mean, accessibility, I always want to sort of remind people when we say that we're talking about accessibility, we're not necessarily talking about uh, uh you know, targeting one specific thing or another thing. A lot of what accessibility means is just bringing options to play, giving people alternatives. That's really what accessibility is about. It's not about like opening up a, a you know, a guide and like following some specific uh, uh, list of requirements. It's really just opening up options for people, um, seeing to it that they can, you know, get their hands on a physical book if that's, you know, their preferred method, but making sure there are eBooks available. Uh, if you are, you know, designing uh, stuff, you want to have the PDFs the properly layered. Um, just about, I think most layout artists know what that means now. But you can actually create PDFs that, uh, you know, that have uh, uh, the text on its own separate layer, so that like uh, uh, text-to-speech software can read it. And, you know, when you can switch on and off layers for people who find a, a page too visually uh, distracting with a lot of like scroll work and and, and illustrations and so on around the edges. Um, I'm going another step beyond that, I guess, uh, in that I'm actually recording the book as audio with uh, some streamers and podcasters and so on. And then when I release the book, it's actually going to have um, you know an EPUB version that includes kind of a read-along book where it will have the text up on screen highlighted as the you know as the audio plays for uh, you know for people uh, who who you know find that to be the best way for them to uh, absorb text. Uh, it's that's usually a very uh, common technique for uh, people who are dyslexic. And um, I think one of the important things I've learned from you know my work with a, a nonprofit is that uh, dyslexia is a lot more common than you would think. And I think there are a lot of gamers out there who really can benefit from having these. These accommodations, even if they don't really know it per se, you know, maybe they just feel, oh yeah, I, I learn things a little easier, you know, if uh, uh, if they're read out to me, then you know, why not just have that option there for everybody? Right. Sure. And how how are you gonna um, distribute the uh, audio version? Oh well, let's see. I mean, the um, I mean, is it gonna be free with the book or? Yeah. The uh, uh, the plan is that uh <laughs> so the plan is that when i you know bring my my kickstarter out there uh the budget actually is going to include the full audio production of it and what you can do with the epub format uh is you can create sort of a, a rich media epub book uh i think we've all you know, well i think most people now know of epub 
Uh, PDF is kind of the format that we're used to seeing when we buy, you know, an ebook or an online version of a game, which is essentially here are the pages of the game text just displayed on your screen. Uh, EPUB actually uh, uh, is designed around the idea of it being more flexible. It's kind of like if that book were a website, meaning it does things like resize uh, the text on the screen or reflow the words when you change the window size like you do in a web browser. Um, so an EPUB gives us that other level of flexibility. Again, more flexibility, more alternatives means better access. And then, yeah, the, the, the rich media means I'm able to kind of embed the audio into it. Um, they would need a, now the downside is you need a, a special playback, uh, software in order to be able to like read that book and have that audio played to you. Uh, the good news is that there are companies working on free open source options for that. And there's uh, one called Thorium Reader that I've tested out in sort of samples of the book and that's worked really well. So, you know, that's kind of how, how it will be distributed is, is at, in that EPUB book format with the, the, you know, the audio baked into it. That's really cool. I, I'm excited to know that there are options for that, that are easily accessible already for people putting their books together. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think one of the, one of the things I did so years ago, I had worked on an earlier edition of this game and part of that included creating an audio version of it. Um, and I put together a series of blog posts actually explaining like, okay, here are the steps I'm going through in order to convert book. Now, a lot of that stuff's out of date now. Uh, you know, things have changed. I mean, it's computers, you know, five years, anything five years old on a computer is, yeah. So I'm, uh, uh, I'm actually thinking that's going to need to be part of what I do with this edition is again, sort of create that guide so that people who are interested can sort of go through those steps of, okay, let's take let's take my book, let's convert it into that EPUB format, and then let's record that audio. And there, there are great free tools that'll do, uh, that'll do a lot of the, uh, uh, the difficult parts of that for you to help you kind of stitch it all together and, uh, and create it. So, you know, there, uh, there's really just the investment of time. And I think that's one of the big, uh, one of the big things about accessibility is really it's, it's the investment of time. Just about anybody can do this work to help people out. Um, you know, just, Make it a priority for yourself. Make it a priority in what you create and uh, in what you share. So, Russell, on this season of D&D Dads, we're following a game designer from the beginning of his game design process through to the finished product. And thinking about accessibility in games, I know that there are lots of designers at all different stages um, of the process. And I was wondering if you could give us some advice, like what would you say to a designer who's at the very beginning of like conceptualizing a game versus what would you say to a designer who say, came to you with a book and said, I wrote this, how do I, what would be like one or two things I could do to make this just a bit more accessible? Okay. Yeah. I mean, the best way to approach accessibility is from the start. I mean, the closest you can, you know, you can get to the beginning, the better, obviously. Um, I think someone who's just starting out can look at um, different ways to sort of present the game material. Uh, sometimes that will guide you into what you create. I actually um, approached this edition of The Tears of a Machine with uh, the idea of creating a game that used some of the accessibility ideas that I had, had read about. Uh, it actually started as a different game entirely. Um, I had been reading articles by Jacob Wood uh, from accessiblegames.biz about 
uh, basically, you know, his love for the fate die because it's, you know, a big die with very easy to read surfaces. And you can even read it by touch because it's those big prominent shapes uh, and so on. I've been, you know, reading about uh, the use of Braille dice uh, and so on. And at the same time, I began looking at um, the idea of dyscalculia. It's a, um, a disability related to handling math. Um, and so just sort of starting from those ideas, I wanted to create a system that I knew would um, not necessarily fix those problems. I mean, there's nothing, you know, you can't fix stuff really, but that would uh, take into account those concerns and those considerations when I, you know, created the system. So I actually started from that. And then when I kind of had a system humming along, then I, you know, uh, uh, attached it to uh, Tears of a Machine's uh, setting. Um, for someone who's, you know, a little further along, I think a lot of it comes down to sort of what you can do with playtesting and looking into different ways you can present what you have. Um, you know, something like a, uh, a Braille edition or an audiobook edition or something like that. You can, you can look at that near the end of, of the product is just, here's another way to deliver, uh, that, that finished work. Um, at that point though, you've probably made a lot of decisions that, you know, might affect, uh, the, you know, the, the, uh, accessibility. I mean, even something like as simple as page count overall length is a big factor. Uh, you know, a very long book is going to basically, you know, turn off anyone who has, um, you know, some difficulty with reading or concentration or, or anything like that. But that's the kind of thing that you can actually sort of uh, uh, compensate for with alternative formats. Um, one of the things I would like to be able to work into my project is more video demonstrations. Um, you know, podcasting, actual plays and so on uh, of games. Those have done a lot to make, uh, um, you know, make role playing popular with people, not only just like, hey, you know, let's watch um, famous voiceover artists, you know, tell stories to each other, but just also people have been able to learn the rules by just sort of watching those happen, you know, uh, uh, by sort of like seeing all those demonstrations and, and sort of play along with. So that can be a big help, you know, even if the most complicated rule set or whatever out there is easier to learn when you break it down into demonstrations, when you, you sort of parse it out into pieces and, you know, show it off a bit at a time. So, you know, there, those are other considerations to make. So really at every stage, you can be doing stuff to improve the accessibility, as long as you're kind of stepping back and saying, okay, what alternatives am I opening to people? What, uh, you know, what, what other ways can I share what I've created? I really like that way of looking at it as thinking about like, how else can I share, you know, and, and the idea of, uh, like you said, opening, like you're, you're, you're opening doors. Mm -hmm. It is a bit of a challenge to some people. Um, I have said in the past that, uh, there was, you know, that there, there was a trend in the nineties of using a lot of like textured, um, you know, backdrops on pages and so on. And those are very hard on people's eyes and, you know, it really limits accessibility. Um, but it's also very hard on photocopiers. So that was a situation where, you know, it was kind of a, a copyright control issue, but that, you know, became a barrier just to people wanting to experience the game. So, you know, you kind of have to have that openness. You have to have that trust. You have to be willing to say, okay, I'm just going to put the raw text of my book out there. And yeah, you know, it's going to be up there for free. Basically, I, I have to sort of uh, take down an economic barrier or, or an economic worry uh, of copyright control 
in order to um, you know in order to have that same kind of of uh, openness and and possibility for people to uh, you know to share it. Uh, but that's I mean that's just that's part of the gaming hobby anyway is to you know be inviting and allow people more opportunities. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's really cool to uh, to be able to do that uh, with you know, to, to be coming into your, your project with that as a goal. Um, I think a lot of people just don't think about it at all, um, much less uh, at the beginning of their project. Yeah, game design is a demanding thing. There's a lot of moving parts going on. We're always very, you know, small teams, small groups. Uh, we don't have a lot of money to do this stuff. And that is kind of the thing, you know, time Time is money. I set aside time to make sure that was a big part of my creation of the game at the beginning. And uh, a big chunk of my Kickstarter goal is going to go toward that audiobook and getting those real human voices in there. I mean, I, I could run the whole thing through a, uh, you know, a, a, a text to speech, uh, you know, a computer program and have it done in a couple hours and, and so on. But I know from experience that you know, that, that stuff just kind of bounces off people after a while. Um, the voices are getting better. They sound more like people uh, in short bursts, but something like a synthetic voice can sort of wear on the ears over time. We're used to listening to people who are not just reading to us, they're telling us a story. And that means there's ebb and flow and give and take in the voice. You know, there's emphasis that you don't necessarily get from a machine. And that's why I said to myself, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put that in the Put that in the budget and you know, bite the bullet and say, okay, that's the that's the real product. That's the real release. Is that that you know, uh, human voice delivering this this book? So you've talked about like the Very length cool. of the book um, and how you've handled math and putting in an audio version um, and um, the way you formatted the text. That's a lot. Um, but I just want to make sure you don't forget anything. Is there anything else you did in the creation of this book to make it more accessible? Well, I made sure to have um, sensitivity consultant on board mm -hmm. for, for all of it. I mean, you know, when we talk about access and accessibility, one of the, the ways we can uh, sort of break that down is to look at equitable access, mm -hmm. making sure that it's sort of a, a fairly available Um and some of that means that I am going to be offering uh, uh, community copies of the book for people with a financial need. But also, I think it was important to have the uh, sensitivity read because, um, you know, you <laughs> one of the worst things you can do for accessibility is to end up using ableist language. And there, there are a lot of words that are just going to float around in our, our general uh, vocabulary are ableist, that are terms that were, you know, once used as uh, as even medical terms that then became, you know, derogatory or, or even slurs for people. Um, so that's part of it, making yourself aware of, of, of those uh, uh, elements. And then, yeah, also just other um, sort of baked in ideas that might be part of the, uh, the content that, you know, you need to assess and, and address. Um, you know, that that's part of making sure that it is accessible to everyone is making sure that it's um, something they want to interact with. So having a, a sensitivity read around the issues of um, handicaps and, uh, you know, and, and proper, uh, um, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for, uh, you know, um, inviting language. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's an important step in basically any book creation, but I think we need to recognize that it is also an yeah. accessibility step. Well, that's really exciting. 
Um, I think that leads right into the recommendations portion of the show. So this is where we recommend something we like. It could be gaming-related, dad-related, a charity, a store, a game, whatever. Um, and my recommendation this week is The Tears of a Machine SC, which is live on Kickstarter now. Um, you can search on Kickstarter to find <laughs> Russell's game. Um, and uh, you can also find a link in the show notes or um, on our blog. And please check it out if you want to see uh, what Russell's created and you want to learn more about the game. I happen to know that his Kickstarter video is amazing and worth watching. Um, even <laughs> if you decide not to invest, you should go watch that video uh, because it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> and if you like mechs, you got it. If you Ooh, like mechs, um... let me interrupt. If you like mechs, you have to check out this game. You just, you just have to. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I'm not going to try to take away from that, but the, uh, the game that I'm going to recommend this week is the One Ring role-playing game, which is based on the works of J.R.O. Tolkien. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning it is that the new version of this game is just dropping um, uh, right now as we are recording. So it'll have been out for a little while. Uh, the alpha text is out um, and it is it allows you to play in the world of the Lord of the Rings, which is something that I have wanted for a long time. So <laughs> excellent. Well, yeah, I'm I'm not going to. Um... I don't think I have to worry too much about trying to steal uh, Tolkien's audience. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, the, the Tears of a Machine's focus is on young adults piloting, you know, giant mecha robots. So that's pretty, pretty far removed from uh, <laughs> from the the Shire. Um, yes. <laughs> but one of the things I would like to recommend is actually, um, so in the run up to the Kickstarter, I've been pretty, you know, stressed uh, and needing something to do to unwind and a new Mario golf game has just landed on the switch. And, um, I find it a nice, you know, a nice video game distraction to be able to, you know, tee up and, and play a couple of links with, uh, Mario or Luigi or whoever, uh, you know, late in the evenings as a way to, to wind down instead of getting further, uh, uh, cranked up. So Mario golf, go, uh, go check it out. I love that that was both uh, gaming-related and self-care-related. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show, Russell. You've been listening to D&D Dads, a role-playing game advice show for everyone at the table, the parlor, or the dungeon. I've been your dad, Brennan Taylor. And I've been your dad, J.R. Blackwell. Send your questions to askyourdads at gmail.com for advice about playing, running, or writing a role-playing game. We don't know the answer. We know someone who does. It's getting late. You should get to bed. Hush now, darling. Dry your eye. It's not forever goodbye. There's no reason to be sad. Come join us next time here on D&D. D&D Dads is hosted by Brennan Taylor and J.R. Blackwell and produced by Seamus Ronan. Original theme music was written and performed by Kate Nix. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at D&D Dads. Rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com backslash askyourdads. Send us your questions at askyourdads at gmail.com.